Welcome to the Reboot Podcast. We are so glad you're here. Hey, everybody. Andy Chrisinger here. I'm the director of coaching at Reboot, and I'm here with my friend and colleague, Dan Putt, who is a co-founder of Reboot and also the director of client engagement. Dan, it's good to be with you today. Good to be with you too, Andy. And you all listening may recognize Dan as uh, the voice of the Reboot podcast. Hello. So it's good to be uh, having this conversation with you. And we're talking today about navigating power differences to build better relationships. This is one of our short podcast snippets where we take a topic and we dive into it in kind of a, a short, pithy, hopefully helpful way. And we're talking about power differences specifically as they pertain to investor-founder relationships. And we might expand that just a bit to also say board member-founder relationships. And Dan, maybe you can start us off by speaking to why we think this is a worthwhile topic to be exploring. This is something that comes up a lot in our conversations with prospective clients. And so I know you have a view of that uh, from your seat in the organization. Maybe you can start us there. Yeah, as, as Andy said, I was the director of client engagement uh, I have the privilege of speaking to so many people, different founders, leaders, and uh, quite a few investors. And I would say probably one of the most common topics that comes up for investors is really how do I build more collaborative, trusting, productive relationships with founders? How do I build more trusting and, and impactful relationships with leaders in my portfolio? Mm -hmm. And one of the, the the core challenges that we see present in limiting the ability for founders and investors to really connect on a more collaborative way is actually rooted in the dynamics of power. So as an example, one of my clients, a first time founder and CEO, but very talented, capable and experienced operator started a company. And one of her investors, actually her, her largest investor also had experience in the same space. So the investor in, a, in an effort to be helpful and, and in a caring way offered to meet on a regular basis, you know, once or twice a month, to really talk about the business and to be supportive to, to my client. So on the surface, it sounds great. The experience for my client was terror. It was mm. a horrible and hard experience for her. One where leading up to the conversation, she would be incredibly stressed. She often wouldn't sleep because she was kind of scrambling to put together the right stuff to look the right way for, for this investor. This investor who is giving time to the founder in an effort to be helpful giving time from their very precious calendar. And in the experience for the, the founder was really to be stressed and anxious and overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. Things that aren't really mm -hmm. helpful when you're trying to build a company. Yep. So as I got into sort of exploring the situation with my founder, at one point, you know, and just seeing how much, how much anxiety she was wrestling with, how much turmoil she was in, I asked her, if I were a fly on a wall in the meeting, who would I assume is the founder and CEO of this company? And the meeting with her investor. And she sort of paused and took a big breath and sheepishly said back to me, him. Mm. So why is that? Why, why is this dynamic that was in an effort to be helpful? Why does it ultimately lead to my client feeling demotivated, de-energized and stressed? Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, Andy, and like just hearing that story, what do you notice about how power is at play in this dynamic? So the first thing I would want to do to start answering that question is actually take a step back and, and let's look at power. And let's look at the different aspects of power 
um, that are showing up in a dynamic like this. For those of you who may be familiar with our podcast, uh, you know that last year we interviewed Regina Smith and Amanda Aguilera, episode 128. Jerry talked with them about power, progress, and generative conflict. So if anyone wants to go deep on this topic, go check that episode out. And Regina and Amanda have actually been teachers internally for us. They've trained our coaches on aspects of, of power, uh, right use of power. And so one of the things that we learned from Regina and Amanda is that power actually has different domains, uh, different aspects, different dimensions. And there are three, I think, that we'd want to distinguish right off the bat in order to better understand what, what's happening in the relationship between your client and this investor. So three domains of power, three dimensions of power, I should say, that we want to unpack. The first is personal power. Personal power is that which comes to us as a birthright, right? Like we all have it. Uh, we have it by virtue of being human. Each of us has the right as individuals to have an effect or influence on the spheres in which we operate. And so personal power, it's sort of like the birthright. Everybody's got it. Then the second domain of power or dimension of power that we want to talk about is what we would call role power or positional power. This kind of power is earned and awarded through roles that we occupy inside of organizations. So the founder has a level of power that the individual contributor um, who's hired onto the team a year after the founding of the company doesn't. It's a, it's a difference. There's a power differential there mm -hmm. based on role. And then the last dimension that we want to talk about for the purposes of this situation would be status, status power. Status power is the kind of power that is culturally conferred based on cultural norms. So think certain professions uh, carry with them based on cultural norms, a kind of status power that are different from others. And so we want to start there. So three dimensions of power that are important here, personal power, everybody has it, it's our birthright, role power, which is related to our position within an organization, and then status power related to that which is culturally conferred. All right, so we have these three dimensions of power uh, that we're talking about here, role, status, and personal power. And let's start by unpacking what is at play or what was at play for your client in this exchange, your client, the entrepreneur. And then we'll, we'll pivot from that and we'll talk about what might have been present for the investor and for those who might be listening to this, who are also investors and want to want to learn how to make it better in these kinds of exchanges, we'll talk about what's up there. But let's start with your client first and foremost. So certainly those three levels of power are at play here. And if we kind of go back from the top down, so the status power certainly present. So the investor, a former founder with a successful exit, not only has this sort of this experience that my client did not have, but also the investor has uh, gender power as a male, mm. and then also socioeconomic power as a someone in a different socioeconomic status with a with the successful exit of a company. So that's certainly at play here for for my client. Then we go down a notch to role power. Well, you'd say, well, my client was the founder and CEO, and that is conferred power in the organization. However, this investor was the largest shareholder in the company, mm. mm -hmm. and so in this instance, she's also down power in terms of role even though she's really one tasked with making the company go and the company work. Right. And then the final one, sort of the, the foundational piece was the personal power. And this is one where uh, she was actually giving up and giving it away. 
So mm. how do you actually help someone who's actually giving away their personal power? Frankly, if you don't have the personal power, then the other two levels of power are not going to be available to one either. So mm. what was helpful for her was to reconnect her with the core reasons why she wanted to start this company in the first place. The things that were personal and important to her, the core values that she held, the mission and purpose behind why she wanted to build this company, things that were independent of this investor, their power, their status, but were important to her. And finding that helped her actually find a bit more solid ground in taking the role power and dealing with the status power. But the, the amazing thing about all this is it is it's happening and we're aware of it on a subconscious level, but consciously it's not there. We're not seeing it. And, and generally the more power you have, particularly as we go up into the status power, the more blind you are to it. So I'm curious, Andy, like if you think about the investor, yep. what do you see in terms of their relationship to the power and how it's showing up in this conversation? Yeah, a couple things come to mind. Um, the first, I'm reminded of this concept of the 150% principle, which we uh, we learned from Regina and Amanda. And the 150% principle describes the extra relationship responsibility that up power people have in any given relational exchange. And so there's more responsibility on the part of the person with more power, particularly in this case, more status or role power to ensure that the relationship is equitable, that the terms are safe, that the, as we would often say, the container is safe. And so that's, that's part of what comes up for me is we don't know in this particular case, what the investor's perspective was, what was happening on the inside for this person. But if I were working with that person as a client, and let's just imagine they said, Hey, I can sense my, my interactions with this founder just aren't going as well as I'd like them to be. Uh, I, I want to be helpful, but I sense that it's not, it's just not happening. One of the first things I would say is, are you cognizant of the fact that you are up power significantly in a number of different ways in this relationship, both in terms of status and, and role? And how are you tending to that power differential? Are you cognizant of it? Are you looking for ways to make that exchange equitable? And we'll talk about how you can specifically do that in a moment. But that's the first thing that comes to mind for me. There's some of the material from Regina Amanda that was that may be helpful here, just to build on that last point. What we have found is that power actually can affect the brain. There's some research mm. that's been done around this. And one of the ways it can actually affect the brain is it limits our ability to take in peripheral information. So in this case, the investor may be focused entirely on the problems at hand that are being presented by my client as opposed to picking up other signals like the stress and anxiety that's present for my client. Right. And thus losing right. an opportunity to maybe connect with them on a more human level as opposed to trying to get down to business, so to speak. Right, right. I think that's a great point. They're probably, you know, another way of thinking about that is they're probably very focused on the what, yep. you know, the, the data, the, the, the expertise, the, the conversation about the space and less focus on the we and what's happening in the relational dynamic. So that's yep. a great point. You know what else comes to mind for me is uh, some of the work of Ed Shine in this space. And for those of you uh, listening who may not be familiar with Ed Shine, uh, he was an organization development professor at MIT Sloan for a number of years, has written some wonderful books that have been hugely influential for, for us internally at Reboot. And I think specifically about his book, Helping, which was one of his earlier uh, books in this space, where he looks at power differentials in a helping relationship. And he has some really, really practical advice on how to 
uh, navigate those situations. What would he offer? What would he say to if he was say, working with the investor in the circumstance? Well, one of the first things he would say is that effective help occurs when both the giver and the receiver are ready. So it might be easy for that investor to think, oh, well, this founder has reached out to me and has asked for help. Of course, they're ready. But as we just talked about earlier, what the investor might not be seeing is all the ways that the founder is intimidated, giving up uh, perhaps, or, or not stepping into owning personal power. And so the investor might do things to signal a more equitable sort of uh, relationship dynamic, you know, and, and by actually, rather than leaning into my expert nature in this field, might actually ask some more questions, might lead with inquiry as opposed to certainty and answers. That might have the effect of balancing out, at least in real time, that sense of equity in the exchange. Yeah, that's a great one. And and it can be really, 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 really hard if you were have expertise and experience in an area to not lean in um, to offer that initially, is to not lead with inquiry, because it feels really good. It feels, in a sense, this is making you a power, perhaps, in early, but it feels really good to be an expert. Yes, absolutely. And often those who are in an up power position in terms of status we have a desire to be liked, respected, and, and validated by those in down power uh, status. Hmm. And so it can be a little bit intoxicating to be in that space where this person that we're helping wants us, needs us, needs our insight. And so we have to be really careful about overly indulging that because it actually makes it harder for real help to flow, for, for that exchange to be truly helpful. Uh, for, in this case, the, the entrepreneur. Uh, another thing that Shine talks about in, in the helping relationship is that it's incredibly important for the, the client, quote unquote, to be the one who owns the problem. So I think, you know, this is actually, you know, central for us in our work as coaches, Dan. So you might just say a word or two about that. Why is it important for the client to own the problem? So to own the problem really provides the agency and the sense of agency to move through it and to move beyond it. In telling someone how to fix something, if they don't have that sense of agency, they're probably not gonna be able to resolve it themselves. Mm-hmm. And they'll also continually come back looking for help as opposed to being able to fix it for themselves going forward. I wanted to pull a direct quote from Shine's book, Helping Here. Uh, and what he's trying to do here is approximate the way that a person in an up power status might frame the helping conversation to the person who's the client or the person in the down power status. It would sound something like this. I'm not in your situation, which only you can assess, but in a similar situation, here's what worked for me. And the goal there is to present some alternative solutions without inhibiting the client's ability to think innovatively about the situation. That's a subtle shift, but an incredibly important one. And again, it's intoxicating when you're in that place where someone is asking you for help to just dive into, here's what you should do, do this, and actually disempower the person that you're trying to help. Then they walk away with a sense of they're not in the driver's seat anymore of their own life, of their own organization. Yeah, I mean, for my client, the feeling was um, that their inability to solve their own problems and needing the investor was ultimately going to lead to a place where the investor was going to say, 
who are you? What are you doing here again? Why did I invest mm. in you? You don't belong in this company. One of her greatest fears. And so uh, it was it was a relationship grounded in fear and terror, as opposed mm-hmm. to one rooted in collaborative, uh, trusting nature. Mm-hmm. So, so with all that said, if this investor that we've we've spoken about in our time together were on this call with us, and he said, "Okay, I want to be better here," you know, what would be the two or three bullet points you'd offer for him to make a difference in this relationship, to make it a collaborative, interesting relationship? Yep. The first thing I would I would say is more an in, about internal stance, actually recognizing in some ways, in some important ways, at least, I am up power in this relationship. Therefore, I need to be looking at everything that happens in this exchange through that lens. I need to be aware of that, not in a way that makes me, you know, needs to make me tentative or, or you know, scared to say things, but I just need to be conscious of that. And then I need to be watching out for in what ways might this person be unnecessarily giving up their personal power. And I need to remember that that is, that, that, that is theirs always, that personal power. Um, so that, that would be one thing. It's more of an internal stance. In terms of what to do, practically, I would say the first thing is ask way more questions than you give advice or give answers. I mean, to perhaps the order of like three to one, four to one, five to one, <laughs> more questions. Because chances are there's no matter how similar a problem is that they're bringing to you, to, to what one that you faced before, that it's their problem, not yours. So that would be one thing. And then the other thing would be to be constantly checking in and gathering feedback about the helpfulness of your help. Hmm. Like, is this working for you? You know, is this the kind of help that you need? Is there a way that we could shift this? And in some ways, it, you know, goes back to that old, you know, now kind of tired meme, Twitter meme about how, how can I be helpful? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that question, you know, got, I think got a, a lot of rightful uh, ribbing uh, because it, it, it's, it's sort of vacuousness or it's emptiness. Uh, in, in terms of how it's often asked uh, by VCs. But I think there's actually something there and it's less, how can I be helpful? But am I being helpful? Is this the kind of help that you need? And then being open to the feedback coming back to you and being willing to shift and adjust. I think that's really well said. I mean, I think one thing just to, to build on that or to close out is, is also to recognize that the relationship itself is something that needs attention and attended to. We have this, you know, maybe a wish to be productive or be connected to be better. And that often does require work and attention in and of itself. It's not one of those things that's just going to resolve on its own. So in both cases, both with my client and with the investor, they can actually talk about how is this going? Not mm-hmm. the results, not the, the solutions to the problems for the company, but actually how are we doing and how can we be better? And to know that that, that in and of itself can set the foundation for trusting collaborative relationships because then you're actually working on it together as opposed to a thing like, well, I should already know how to do this, which is something my client felt and perhaps the investor felt as well. It's like, no, actually we're different people with different needs. Let's come together and figure out how we best support one another and actually talk about that as opposed to a thing. Mm. Yeah, that's wonderful. Really awesome. You know, we've just begun to scratch the surface on some really big meaty topics here in this little snippet. So. 
in the show notes, we'll put a link to the article that you cited about, you know, power causing brain damage comes from the Atlantic uh, from a couple of years back. We can put a link to that. Um, we'll also put a link to helping the book by Ed Shine that we cited. Um, I think this is, you know, what, probably among my top five books for leaders, uh, coaches, uh, anyone who is attempting to be helpful to others in their profession. So we'll put that in there as well. And um, this is the kind of thing that we go deeper on in our uh, boot camps and events for investors, for VCs as well. So if you want to kind of dive deeper into this kind of content, uh, you might keep an eye out for those events as they come up. Well, thanks for having me, Andy. It was great to be yeah. here. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for doing this. If you enjoyed this episode, go to reboot.io slash podcast to listen to all five seasons of our podcast conversations and leave us a review on iTunes. That's the best way for other people to find and enjoy the show just as you have done. And don't forget to join our mailing list at reboot.io slash sign up so you never miss an episode. Thank you for listening. Working in VC is hard at any time, but doing this job over the last year has brought with it unique challenges. 2020 changed the world, and that change brings an opportunity for us to grow as humans, specifically as investors. The last year has shown us that perhaps the most important skills we can develop are our resilience and our adaptability. So whatever your experience has been over the last year and whether you find yourself feeling challenged or energized in this moment, we hope you'll join us and other folks in the VC community this June 4th for a reflective half-day event featuring guided journaling, peer coaching, and a robust opportunity to not only refresh and refine your approach to the work, but to enhance your resilience and your adaptability. To learn more, apply, or submit for a scholarship, head to reboot.io slash minicamp. That's reboot.io slash minicamp.